I think we're doing a really good job of just, it's kind of awkward um, the way that our starters have kind of went about this year. Um, but overall, we threw, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is we threw five all-star pitchers together on one staff. We, we better be good. And I mean, obviously we have been this year, but uh, overall, I mean, if you're expecting something else, I don't know what you're expecting. That's Chris Bassett today. Feeling frisky after a 4-0 win over the San Diego Padres. Jay's avoiding the sweep there on a plane or will be in a plane in a few minutes to uh, Seattle, their second home to take on the Mariners, who are currently beating the Minnesota Twins 2-0 in Seattle. Chris Bassett, I'm going to read you this. It's 10-5 in the year. It was the seventh start of at least six scoreless innings. It's the most in the majors. Ten starts at the Rogers Center this season. He's 6-1. and one. He's got a 2.24 ERA, a 0.87 whip, a 167 opponent's average against. The Jays are 12-2 and two when he pitches at least six innings this season. Only Shane McClanahan has a better record when he pitches six innings this season. It's 11-1, and one, a, betting win- a better winning percentage, I should say. That's 9-17 compared to 8-57. Uh, lots to talk about from today's game. Alejandro Kirk had a day at the plate. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is 15th homer of the year. Uh, but let's start, Kevin, with Chris Bassett. And we've talked a lot this year about how this rotation has emerged as the strong point. Uh, for this team. Mm. But it seems to me that we may be on to something even more than that with this road. This, this rotation's awfully good. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as Chris Bass, the five all-stars necessarily, though I think I, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't think all of them have made the all-star game. I could be wrong. But um this rotation, I, I sometimes I think we underplay how good it is. They're predictable. That that for me is exactly what they yes. are. That they when they take the mound for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of guys yeah. that you throw in there occasionally. You really don't know what but you're going to get. The, front, the first the, three guys, absolutely, you can pretty much pencil begin, in what they're going to do. Beginning of the year, you say Kikuchi, right? It was mm-hmm. the velocity, it was the location of the fastball, it was changing speeds on the breaking ball. He would go slider and curveball. You could actually tell it was a slider. So they were very predictable. Look, whenever he is throwing, when he's 14 out of 24 in strike ones, I mean, that's okay. Mm -hmm. The reason why that's 14 out of 24 is because he has five lefties in the the order. Mm -hmm. And whenever you're trying to be perfect with location, with the two-seamer, you're trying to sprinkle in the cutter, you want to occasionally steal a strike, be unpredictable with the breaking ball. You're trying to back foot a slider. You would occasionally throw a, an elevated four-seamer, a change-up. You're trying to get on the same page with your catcher. You're telling your catcher in-game, in big moments, to be smart. I. It's rare, if ever, that you will see a pitcher point to his head to basically tell a catcher, you're better than that. <laughs> don't don't mm-hmm. do that. Like, he'd shake him off. He would... Whatever it is, like walk around, and I'm, I know you got a little time to do yep. that. But there was some thought in. Basically, I'm gonna, ha- I'm looking at the ground. I'm pointing at my head to basically say, we went over this. 
don't do that again. Like, it's there's so much going on for him to do three three-ball counts, one for 11 against lefties mm. with a walk, 14 out of 24 for with strike one, three three-up, three-downs in six innings, like getting out of trouble, like maneuvering to get to secondary pitches. Like, there is so, so much. They only gave up four hits. Three of those were from one dude, Bogarts. Yeah. Like, there's so much going into, you know, how how you get to six innings, how you give your lineup a chance to have a big inning, how you squeak by innings that a second baseman makes an error who should not make an error, who should have double plays turned when balls are hit to you when you're not an everyday player. Like, just everything that goes into it, I mean, it's special stuff. And, I, again, I said this, when when he can throw enough cutters, not a ton of them, when he can throw enough of them to the lefties, that's when they start going one for 11 with a walk. And, you know, he can get them out pretty easy because then they start guessing. And it's impossible to guess. His catcher, who games playing with him for four days before his start, can't think along with him. Mm-hmm. So just think about if you're a hitter trying to do it. So, I mean, right now it's special stuff whenever he's got the sinker working and occasionally the cutter and can steal some strikes with the secondary pitches and has a decent changeup. He's a really good pitcher. I mean, the the, the sixth inning today, you know, I, I was I, I will admit I, I was I had a great deal of concern after the Bogart single. Um Kiermaier throwing the ball to third base, allowing Bogarts to get the second. Uh Quite frankly, uh, Bassett looked pissed at the end of that play. Uh, now, it's hard to tell with Chris Bassett because yeah. I told you I went deliberately watched his pregame routine today, went yeah. down on the corner to watch it. And, I mean, I wanted to start crying. I felt so bad for him because nothing was going right. I mean, by his reaction, nothing was going right. He's shaking his head. He's stretching. He's kicking the dirt, and he's getting down on his knees and he's smoothing over the landings. This is in the bullpen. Yeah. I'm going, my God, this looks awful. You I know, mean, I, I feel bad for you. You know the what's guy. funny about that? The very first time I saw him in spring training, it looked exactly really? that way. I think it's always that way. Okay. Like I, I just think unless he has that, it's like he just can't get it back on the tracks. And whenever the game starts, yeah. all of a sudden the sinker's locating and the cutter he'll have, he can back Very door and he can it's, throw it in. He's he a can da- elevate it. Like there's a lot of stuff he's happening He's a there. dangerous guy to try to read. Very to needy. try to read he's his body very body needy. language. He's very needy. And uh, he, think about if you're Kirky. Well, he, and he got out of that. <laughs> now he got out of that inning, uh, getting Cronenworth to pop up and getting Sanchez to ground out. And then uh, in the next inning, the, the bullpen took over. Uh, I got I know we want to talk about the home runs. We got a whole bunch of stuff we want to talk about. But I got to talk about that play Vladdy made on uh, Rivas. The pop up, the double play. Vladdy catches the ball. This back to the to first yeah, yeah. base. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Somebody yelled, or maybe he saw uh, Grisham slip, but he throws yeah, to yeah, first base yeah. to get to get the double play. Grisham the, didn't slip. 
I mean, again, okay. again, you watch enough baseball at the big league level. Uh, the base running at the, that no, level, it's, is, not it's atrocious. Like, it's, where are you going? I mean, Vladdy has one of the best arms in baseball in the infield, period, end of story. Like, if he catches that or he, that falls in, he's throwing the ball to second. You're not making it to second. At least you have a runner at right. first. Like, you're basically. So there's no percentage in, in, in doing that. Like, you just take a couple of steps off of first, he catches you, you go back to first. You ever it's think- not like he's, if it falls in, he's not going to pick it up and throw to second he has to begin one of yeah. the best most accurate arms in the infield in baseball it's really not even close so yeah the base running at the big league level is not real good cecil cooper always used to tell me as a first baseman and he was one of the best at telling you and breaking it down and simplifying it anytime you're running after one of those pop-ups to where you have to look above your head try to side saddle it because there is a a sort of a dead spot because of the bill of your cap. If you're looking straight over that cap, whenever you look up, it's a blind spot and you right. tend to lose the baseball and the baseball will hit the heel of your glove instead of the webbing of your glove. So you try to side saddle it. Well, what'd Vladdy do? He side saddled it. When you mm-hmm. side saddle it, you could see the ball the entire time. The ball goes in your web of your glove. You catch it. It looks easier. It's easier for you to just see the baseball the entire time. It's growing up. It's understanding how to play first base. So, yeah, I think that's a, a combination. And Vladdy, heads up. You know, it's early on. It's not – It's you see one Vladdy of not being in an athletic position yeah. when he takes a secondary lead at first, knowing that a catcher off. has a pretty good arm, that if you're in an athletic position, you can go head first to the back of the bag with your right hand, and then you're safe, and you at least give – Chapman a chance. I know it was two strikes, but at least you give him a chance to yeah. run into one because Blake Snell was sort of all over the place and glove side command wasn't very good. So, and then you're trying to score first. Basically, the Jays are 36 and 13 when they score first. That's your goal the, because uh, of your starting pitching. Yeah, there was a lot going on in the there base. Was. There was a lot going on in the base pass. Absolutely. Four double plays turned by the Jays. Uh, Whit Merrifield caught stealing third base. Yeah, I said in my net. I mean, you got Espen all up. You can't. You're having trouble scoring runs. That's what he does. You're being aggressive. He didn't get a a good jump. Okay, let's but let's rewind it a bit because he he has third stolen and Espinal fouls the ball off. He goes back to second base. Yeah. Snell throws over to second base. Yeah. Then he steals third and he's thrown out. Too predictable. No, I don't think so. I just think he got a bad jump. I I think his the footwork that he was trying to get his little shuffle and the way he wanted to start. It looked to me like he might have started a little too late. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you sort of your feet are trying to play catch up with your hands and, you know, you're a little out of whack and then you get thrown out by half a step. And that's exactly what happened. I don't mind that. Team's trying to. Right, they're, they're, that's fair. They're, they're struggling Early against in the a, game? a good starting staff to score runs. Blake Snell, up until, I mean, the last nine starts he's had has been elite. Not good. Yeah. Elite. And you're at the bottom of the order. Does the bottom of the order that the Jays ran out there today ooze and just, boy, I can't wait till they come to the plate? Oof. So, no. no. Like, you, every once in a while, you got to let your dude be the way he is. And he stole second. He's trying to steal third to make it a little easier for the dude at the plate. I got, for me anyway, I got no issues with that. Seven walks for Blake Snell. Tying Only one a, run. It's kind of a career high. Only one run. Well, until, until, you know, until Alejandro Kirk's home run. Uh, I'm sorry, until Vladdy's home run, it, it looked a lot of, uh, boy, it, it looked, it kind of looked familiar, a little familiar, didn't opportunities with men in base, not much going on. 
um, you know, running into outs in the base paths. Uh, what was it, the fifth inning where they've got runners on fir- on second and, and second and third after a back-to-back walks and a wild pitch. Chapman strikeout swinging, Merrifield strikeout yeah. swinging, yeah. Espinal grounding out 6-3. I, I thought uh, at that point they're cooked. Okay. I, I thought at that point they're cooked. I, I love it that you brought that up. Uh, yeah, that This is sort of a, an interesting way to talk about count leverage. Okay. Against really, really good Elite pitchers. pitching. And, and Blake Snell for the last nine starts up until today. Yep. You know, glove side command for him, that's into a righty way to left. He wasn't very good. Like, normally he's flipping the breaking ball. He can throw the slider. He'll throw the slider enough for strikes to make you swing at it, and then he'll elevate the heater mm-hmm. at 97, and he'll throw the, the two-seamer, and he'll do some things glove side that most humans that are left-handed can't do because most dudes don't throw that hard. But, again, it gets back to, at least for me, Chapman comes to the plate. What is that? That's first and second, nobody out. Yep. Chapman comes to the plate. Looked to me like he was looking spin. Now, if I'm Matt Chapman, and I see how Blake Snell's looked up until that point, and I know coming into the day, batters are hitting under 100 on the breaking ball. Why would I look for it? Looked to me like he, he's looking for, I know it's a slider, but it looked to me like he was looking spin. Mm-hmm. Wasn't close. It's sort of like whenever you see Springer, because Springer is a, very, a, a huge educated guesser, and when he gets in trouble is, if I'm looking spin, this is him. If I'm looking spin and I see spin out of the hand, no matter where it's at, I'm going to swing at it. And because I have good bat-to-ball skills, I'll put that in play, and that's why you see the odd out, mm-hmm. right? It's like a little rollover right. or a pop out. Just because I'm looking for it, I see it out of the hand, I'm swinging at it no matter where it's at. That's sort of the way it looks there. The reason why I said that against good pitching, count leverage, this is Blake Snell. When he is 1-0 in the count, that is the hitter is ahead in the count. The batter is hitting 455. When he, Blake Snell, is 0-1, that's ahead in the count. Batters are hitting 125. Just that one little flip, if I take the breaking ball and I'm ahead in the count 1-0, my chances go way up with first and second of hitting a ball super hard in the big part of the field. That's every good hitter, every good hitter that's in the middle of the order who's thinking about trying to drive in runs. All you ever talk about with them is count leverage. How do I get into a count that I can do damage? You hear John Snyder talk about that all Mm -hmm. the time with Blatty. We saw three at-bats yesterday that looked like a minor league hitter. You could say it and as nicely and and spin it any other way you want to spin it. But when you're hitting cleanup, you can't swing at OO sinkers in off the plate with runners in scoring position when you're hitting cleanup and have the expectations that Vladdy's have. That's the point here is that's what they need to get better at. It's not that they can't do it. It's whatever they're talking about before they walk to the plate just doesn't make any sense. I, I just Now, whether they were sitting breaking ball sure looked like it. Like, because you're swinging, it's not even close. Mm -hmm. The pitch wasn't even close to the strike zone. So it would tell you they're sitting spin, and as soon as they see it, they're swinging at it. So, again, it gets back to if you just refine it enough because you are a really good hitter and can get into one of those counts to force a good pitcher like Blake Snell into the strike zone and you can eliminate one of his better pitches, he's probably not going to throw you back-to-back breaking balls because he doesn't want to fall behind 2-0. Then you're – 
chances of getting a hit go way up because now I've eliminated two pitches already. And now I can look for one pitch in one zone to go back Lake City on. And that's just, that's the fifth inning sort of summed up the yeah. Jays this season. No, it did. It really did. Like it, it did. just, it summed it up. And I, that's, that just, it's just odd that good hitters, I'm not saying that Whit Merrifield's a run producer because he's not, but he's a good hitter. Sure. And just seeing those kind of at bats, right, that, just sometimes make you scratch your head on what the conversation's like. Is it they're trying too hard? They've been around too long to try too hard. I mean, it's, it's July. It's not, it's not April. So that's, I don't know. I don't know why that frustrates every time I see that because they are good hitters and you sort of got a dude on the ropes and and then you go up and you sort of help him out and then you look up his stats and you see the big difference between one pitch to every like You go from being so positive to so negative because you chase one little breaking ball. It's that's that's the difference in a good pitcher and a bad pitcher. Is if a good pitcher you fall behind with him, you're probably out, and that's exactly what happened. Because now what I can do is I can pitch to your weakness, which is an elevated fastball, and then you can expand with a changeup down and away. I think like he did with Wit. So that's the difference, right? Is this time of the year against the good ones, you better take that one to try and get the one down the middle. 4-0, the Blue Jays beat the Padres today. We'll be joined by Brett Boone. We'll take a look at the Mariners. Brett Boone joins us later on in the show. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays Central Analyst, will be along at the top of the hour. Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch will join us from Cooperstown. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame inductions this weekend, uh, but we're also going to talk a great deal about the trade rumors surrounding the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, I can tell you, if the Cardinals do anything, the Jays, the Jays better have. I don't know what speed dial is now, but the Jays better be all over whatever it is the Cardinals are doing because the two teams, the matchup makes <clears throat> the matchups. I should say make a great deal of sense. All right, Alejandro Kirk, tell you a story. Today is the first day at the ballpark. First day I've been down to the ballpark for a while, and just kind of the chatter around the ballpark about Alejandro Kirk, about his diminished role with the team about the possibility that at some point the Jays may have so little faith in this guy that they need, that they add another catcher or in the very least they start thinking if they make a deal and Dalton Varsho isn't going to be the every in the outfield every day, you start thinking about Diet. Do you ask Dalton Varsho to catch a couple of games? I mean, people are talking about Alejandro Kirk like he's got one foot in the minors. Alejandro Kirk's exit velocity. We're not necessarily big believers in, in, in a lot of those stats, but his exit velocity balls he's hit this year were down by three miles an hour. He's not making, not making hard contact. Today, Kevin, a walk, I mean, an infield hit, the only way you can get an infield hit, single, and then a home run. Um, one game obviously doesn't make a difference. Might for him. Or I was going to say, or does it? It's not gonna hurt. It's not gonna hurt. I mean, he's had a, he's had a a really bad year. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's not the expectations. The he, expectations with him was high. Like he when he was supposed to do things in the big part of the be, field. Is he ever going to hit power for power? Probably not. Like, I don't think that's getting a lefty slider out front with two strikes. I think that's okay. sort of what you can expect. <clears throat> but you can't expect him to have twenty doubles. Like, he can think right center, hit the middle part of the baseball. And think the plate out front. That for me, because I've asked, 
is the bat speed gone? Is it slower than it was last year? I've been told no. Like they've hooked up whatever they've been hooking up to him to try and figure out, well, you know, A to B is it as mm-hmm. quick as it was last year. I've even asked John every Friday that we have him on, is it slower? And he continues to say exactly the same thing but that the I've velo asked other is down. People. That would suggest the contacts are not as hard. Yeah, you would think that could be numerous things. That could be lack of rotation. That could be lack of getting right. off your backside. That could so be that doesn't mean slow that, bat. That could be thinking you're not seeing the ball well. That could be thinking you're letting it travel too much. Like me, looked awfully good when he caught that thing out front and wasn't letting it try and get so deep. Now, that could have been because it was a little cement mixing sidearm from a lefty in the 70s, he and he could have, he's allowed yeah. to do that. And then you start getting the 95s up. You know, it's very hard because of the way he uses his lower half and because he doesn't have good rotation all the time with his lower half. Again, when you're a good hitter, Jeff, you know this better than anybody, the people that you talk to, the khakis start looking. They try and figure out ways to get you out, right? And it may be the elevated fastball and spinning it in fastball counts. So they've adjusted to him, it looks to me like. Now it's up to him to, this is what I would do. I would hook him up to that machine that throws 115 miles an hour, and it's like the Iron Mike, just get him in a cage and tell him get the head out. Every hit, Get the head out and start hitting line drives in the back of the net, in the left-hand corner of that net. Do that. Simplify that thing. Have good rotation. Set your eyes out in front of the plate. That's it. You have good hand-eye coordination. If your bat speed's still there, which everybody's telling us that it, that it is, now it's up to you to change that and start playing catch-up a little bit more. And that, for me, is if you can hit the heater, why wouldn't you be able to get in an athletic position to hit the heater, and now you can recognize spin, and then you can let that travel and backspin that thing to right center and get an occasional double in the eighth inning off a tough pitcher, right, from a right-hander. So, yeah, I, how much you reading into that? I wouldn't think if you're a fan of the Blue Jays too much, but if you're Alejandro Kirk and you're sitting on that plane, you're thinking to yourself, man, look at the good rotation I had on a slider just thinking out front a little bit more. And I can sort of drive down and through that. You could tell that swing was not so much. He was sitting on his backside, not getting, you know, rotational like mm-hmm. he should be with velocity. Maybe that's it. I just think you need to simplify that thing. Get in the cage, turn that iron mic up, start pulling that thing. You do that, that'll direct the barrel, and that'll get your eyes thinking out front. Sometimes we let that thing travel too much. And when you let it travel too much, what do you do, Jeff? You foul baseballs off. Like, there's no more of that. When I was uh, playing, it was let it travel and think left center. But because all the velocity, if you're thinking left center a lot, you're fouling that off because that thing's getting too deep, and it's getting basically in the middle of your body. And the ball's going, I was left-handed, over the third-base dugout. So now you would have to think, I'm hitting that ball to center, right? Because I don't want to get out and around it. I don't want to let it travel too much. But I want to catch it out front and stay through it. So my mindset has to change. That, for me, is what I think he has to do. And don't have the expectations so high that, I mean, he's not a great hitter. He's a, he's a, he's a line drive hitter who can get a big hit in the eighth inning. If he does that a couple times a week, be happy with that. Yeah, and and uh, especially if, you know, in the very least, you can tell that his ability to make contact is such that the Jays still, they do like him as a pinch hitter, right? They do like him as a pinch hitter. I think for that, they like him catching reason. too. Receiving baseballs and 
Well, he seems yeah. to be. A, he seems to have a particular strength at the bottom of the zone. Yeah. Um, you know, the numbers suggest that he's that, that he's very good at that uh, behind the plate. But uh, anyhow, three hits for uh, Alejandro Kirk today. Two hits for Jordan Luplo. Two hits and a walk. Bo Bichette walked twice. If you're wondering, it's the first time he's walked twice in a game since September 18th, 2022. Uh, he's now walked in back-to-back games. That's something that's happened six times this year. That suggested to me, that kind of sums up the night, the day Blake Snell had, I think, that Bo Bichette got a couple of walks off of off of. Yeah, it looked like he was favoring Snell. his hand a little bit too. When you're favoring something, you may take pitches that you normally well, don't take. Well, he did. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. uh, there was a net bat and, uh, boy, what inning was it? I made a note of it. It was the seventh inning. Uh, seven, John came out in the... Uh, yeah, and out. you could tell, and I don't know, it looked like on the swing, he may have just kind of torqued the wrist or something like that. Yeah. But that was after those two walks, so I, it's entirely possible he might have been... He might have been... Plays a lot. ...favoring something. He, he does. Every, he, um, every once in a while, it's not working right. Yeah, I was going to say there. Yeah. But, but still, that cool. is... You you don't expect you don't expect two walks in a game from Bo Bichette. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying I found that that suggested to me that Blake Snell really because I thought Blake Snell's a good pitcher. I thought Blake Snell's the type of guy you Bo and him are going to have a couple of real good battles. Yeah, and you saw uh, you saw you saw those walks. Jordan Romano uh, comes out in the ninth inning. I think his through 96 was the fastest pitch he threw. Got the save. That's his first uh, save opportunity since the All-Star game, since coming out of the All-Star game with a sore back. So he's good to go. Kevin Gossman, we should mention, has been given the go-ahead. He'll start Saturday in Seattle. So the matchups for the Seattle series Friday, you say Kikuchi against Bryce Miller. Saturday, Kevin Gossman against Logan Gilbert. And uh, on Sunday, Alec Manoa will take the mound against Brian Wu. Sunday's game is at 4.10 Eastern. Saturday's game is at 4.10 Eastern, of course, tomorrow night. No Castillo, no Kirby, which is a big deal. Yeah, if you're the Jays. And no Jared uh, Kalenich, who fractured his foot, kicking the uh, – I shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's not funny when a dude injures himself. They kick the – It is a little funny. Kick the water. I've been there before. Yeah. Anyhow, Uh, Brett Boone will join us. In a few minutes, and uh, we will uh, take a deeper dive into the Mariners. Uh, something else I wanted to mention, John Schneider, the Jays manager, that was his 100th career win, matching Cito Gaston for the fastest in franchise history to reach the century mark. That was in uh, 171 games. Um, and I, I, boy, oh, boy, I wanted to ask you about, uh, oh, I wanted to ask you about Eric Swanson because Eric Swanson's workload is something that, we've been talking about a lot, something sure. that John's been talking about mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, do you see anything today from Eric Swanson one way or another? Yeah, I think when he gives up hits, I think it was Tatis Jr. He gave yeah. up the single up the middle. This When the split finger's like that, it's good hitting. I mean, it's got to have later bite to it, and it's got to have bite. Yeah. And when it's not, I think the the not having bite is when they overuse him. He got a double play to get – that was Absolutely. a big double play uh, to get Chapman, out of that that's, inning That's too. a heck of a play from Chapman, yeah. right? That, that in-between hop's not the easiest thing, and to be able to get around that and – you know, there's a reason why you're seeing him at 10 o'clock in the morning. Louis, you know, when when Louis Rivera is hitting fungos to him, that's yeah. when it shows up is those kind of plays there. He gets around the ball. You know, he's attacking that in-between hop. 
He catches it first, which is a big deal. A lot of dudes in the heat of the moment, right, when there's people running all over the place, you want to peek and all those things. You got to catch it first, mm-hmm. run to the bag, and then make an accurate throw to, to the first base. So, yeah, it was – I think they got to be careful. That, for me, is why it's either Chad Green or you go out and get you a dude to throw the eighth inning, a dude. And sort of now you got Eric Swanson. Maybe you can use him as sort of your hybrid. He's all over the place. It's not always yeah. high leverage bringing him in with a one-run lead in the meat of the order. Maybe you can hand that over to somebody that's a little older, has got a little bit more velocity, you know, that can me against you occasionally. I mean, the 93-94, I'm not sure, always is going to play. I think that is – it's got to all, all be working, right? It's elevated and tunneling the split finger. If it's doing that, it's really good. If it's not doing that – and you're a little worried. Brett Boone is host of the Brett Boone podcast. He's a 14-year MLB player, three-time All-Star. We'll take a deeper dive into the Mariners. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 Defense, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Funny story earlier this week, the uh, Seattle Mariners gift shop selling Blue Jays jerseys ahead of this weekend's series between the Jays and the Mariners. And, of course, uh, that series usually sees smart. Uh, a lot of uh, fans from Vancouver, from the lower mainland, from Alberta, uh, going to Seattle to take on the Blue Jays. I thought it was kind of. Whose jersey do you think they would sell the most of? Flatty. You think so? Yeah. Steel. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I, I would think they would still. Um, yeah, because of the family tie to Montreal. Sure. And the whole thing. I think it'd still still sell most. Most. I'm of sure you're right. Flatty's uniform. But uh, the Jays are uh, probably in the air right now, are getting close to it as uh, they head to Seattle for game series against the Mariners followed by a three game series at Dodger stadium against the Dodgers. And we've talked about how the Jays are playing outside the division right now. And uh, they've generally had a better record outside the division than they have, than they have inside the division this year. But this, this trip just seems maybe because there will be a lot of blue Jays fans down there. This trip seems as if, heading into the trade deadline as if this could be a very, very, very significant, very significant six games for this team. I would think they'll probably also be significant for the Seattle Mariners. They are currently playing, beating yeah. the Minnesota They're Twins. They're a game under 500, too. Two nothing as we speak. Yep. Brett Boone is host of the Brett Boone Podcast, 14-year MLB player, three-time All-Star. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for joining uh, for joining Kevin and myself, we were just talking a little bit about uh, the Jays getting ready to go go on to Seattle. Um, Kevin and I were tossing this around. Uh, you know, look, I, I I thought, I mean, there's been a lot of teams in baseball that have been kind of sort of disappointing this year. I mean, you can include, I think, the Blue Jays in that. Uh, a little, yeah. In, in, in that way, uh, from our point of view. 
What have you made of the Mariners so far? And as we get closer to the trade deadline, what is this team exactly? The Blue Jays or the Mariners? The Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> the Mariners. You know, I oh, man, it, it's tough for me. I, I watched them a year ago get back to the postseason for the first time in 21 years. And they didn't do much this offseason. But I thought, you know, with the core group of guys they have, Kellenick came on, he just – He's out now because of broken foot, a little frustration in the dugout. He's come on this year, become a big league player. Julio is, you know, going to be a, a guy in Seattle for the next 10 years. And I thought the offense was enough. Uh, they played really good defense. But I just thought the maturation of this pitching staff with a, George, a young George Kirby, uh, Gilbert, Castillo anchoring that rotation at the top, being one of the, the big uh, trade deadline acquisitions of a year ago. And I just, with that bullpen, I just thought, man, these Mariners can really pitch. And in that division that plays, well, the offense is still pathetically mediocre like it was a year ago. And the pitching's been up and down. I still think uh, they have elite pitching, especially in that starting rotation. Uh, but I'd have to say all in all, uh, they, they've they been a disappointment. And, and on my radar, Mm-hmm. Because I was expecting, I was expecting them not to be a sub, sub five hundred team at this stage of the game, and, and they are. And uh, you know, as a Mariner and, and as a guy that spent a lot of years up there, I'm always keeping an eye, keeping an eye on that franchise. And and I just think they've they've underperformed this year for for the uh, for the players they have on that roster. Yep. So yeah, I think it's been a disappointment this far, but but. There's time to go. Yeah, it's very weird. You know, you're looking at the Mariners, and if you look at them since the end of April, they've basically have kind of been in that mushy middle, right? They're either four games above 500 or four games below 500, right? There's, it, it, they're, they're kind of, in some way, I was going to try to compare them to the Padres. That's not fair, but they're just, it, it just seems as if there's, you, there's, they're, they're not bad enough to be bad, and they're not good enough to be really good, which is not. Brett, that's not always a comfortable place or an easy place to be if you're if you're a team, especially when you consider that going into the season. I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of us had postseason aspirations for this team. Oh, without a doubt. You know, if you take me back to opening day and say, you know, give, Brett, give me your percentages that the Mariners will make the playoffs this year. I give you 80, 90 percent. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting there on the other uh, on the other end of that scenario, you know, giving you a 10 or 20 percent. They've really got to catch fire at some point just like all the teams that are kind of right now in that murky middle i think the blue jays a little bit of a different story if the season ended today they're in the postseason Mm -hmm. so they're way ahead of the game as far as that goes and and i really do think in today's game uh the 162 has been and i don't want i'll use the word i don't really mean it in a negative way it's been cheapened Mm -hmm. you don't have to play you don't have to be over the top exceptional for 162 games because it's all about getting into the tournament, getting into that postseason. There's 12 spots now. It's easier than it's ever been to get there. And it's a whole different animal once you get there. I think once you get there, now it's probably harder than in past years. you got to go through four series to, to win a World Series. And, and that's tough because you're getting teams on all different sides of the spectrum as far as hot, teams that have had unbelievable regular seasons and are kind of waiting for the postseason. Then you have, you know, like the Phillies a year ago where they got in at the last minute, and basically they were playing playoff baseball for the whole month of uh, of September, 
caught fire and got to the World Series or two games away from winning a World Series. We're on the other side of the ledger. You have a team like the L.A. Dodgers a year ago, obviously clearly the best team in baseball, sitting there with 111 wins. Well, they get bounced in the second round by an 80, 88 or 89-win Padres team. So you just never know. I think it's exciting. I, I, I kind of like the new format, and I like a bunch of teams, a bunch of cities involved much longer. I think it's good for the game. But it makes that postseason you never can predict because not always the best regular season team is standing at the end. But I think it's great entertainment value and great for the fans. Okay, the Mariners are a game under 500. The the trade deadline is coming up August 1st. If you're the front office of the M's and you're in the the locker room of the Mariners and the say the front office didn't do anything, if they did anything, maybe they took a piece away. Would that would that send a message, or does that work? Like, cause you would know. You've been you you played forever. You've been on some good teams. I'm sure the the trade deadline mattered. You know, does that message sending thing from front offices work? Yeah, and I think once you get about three weeks out from that trade deadline, I've been on teams that we were wire to wire pennant winners. I've been on teams where we got in late, and I've been on teams where what's going to happen between now and the, and the playoff uh, or in the, uh, the trade deadline. So I think as a player on the ground, one of those 26 guys in that room, once that all-star break now with the, with the trade deadline being August 1st, if we're one of those teams in the middle, let's just call it in the middle, undecided. We're not out of it, but we're not definitely in it right now. I think that's the Mariners right now. They're in the middle. Yep. As a player, I'm thinking – Man, we got three weeks to prove to ownership that we're worthy of going for it at that break and getting that piece that we need to get us over the top. That being said, if we have a rough three weeks, we give them reason not to make a decision or maybe go the other way and be a seller. So this is a crucial three weeks for these ball clubs uh, coming off the All-Star break. A lot of teams in the middle, a lot of teams definitely contenders, and they're going to be buyers at the deadline. And then there's, there's those handful of teams now that are definitely not don't have any postseason. They they have no chance to make it to the postseason. So they'll listen to anybody that's going to come in and offer them a, a trade situation. So it's an interesting dynamic. But I've been I've been a player on all three of said teams. And man, when you're right on that bubble, like if we just have a good push here, you know, if we can go eight and four over our next twelve, ownership I think is going to step step up and go for it and and get us that piece that puts us over the hump. And if we go four and eight. It might be the reverse. So a lot of this, a lot of the time right now, it's on the players' shoulders to kind of put up or shut up, and and whatever happens usually will be the thing. But it's it's interesting. I look at the Mariners; they got no chance of winning that division. Texas is clearly uh, an improved team. They're they're one of the best teams in baseball for my money. Uh, Houston Astros; they're not going away. You know, they've been kind of quiet this year and kind of under the radar. Bottom line is the Astros pitch; they always pitch. They're still the best in the league from a pitching standpoint, they're going to be there. I don't think there's – it's going to be tough to get three out of that American League uh, West. Mm -hmm. So the Mariners are really going to have to do something special uh, in the next two weeks for for ownership to have a clear-cut way of how are they going to go going forward. I'm looking at it right now. Seattle's five and a half games out. Well, that doesn't seem like a lot in the wild card. But it is a lot when you have to jump over the Angels, the Yankees, and Boston just to get in yeah. into that, that, that wild card. So easier said than done. It's going to 
the Mariners at this point, they're really going to have to go on a run. They did it a year ago. I think that we went on a run where they, they won 15 in a row. You're going to have to have something miraculous like that happen for this team to be a true contender come the end of the season. Yeah, and I think they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wins over the Blue Jays were, were part of that Sweet. run. Yep. Where they had that sweep. That, yep. Well, that sweep essentially, I think, ended up costing Charlie Montoya his job. No here. question. Absolutely. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, I know today the game's still going on, but he's two for three. He's hit a home run. He was two for 23 in the homestand coming into that, coming into today. Uh, Brett, what have you seen from him? And has he been a disappointment in terms of the impact he was supposed to make for the Seattle Mariners? Well, I. Well, I think depending on who you talk to, I look at Teoscar Hernandez, and what do you expect from him? You know, I expect a guy that's going to hit the ball over the fence and he's going to drive in some runs. I'm not looking for a guy that's going to hit 300. I think with without the recent, like you mentioned, two for 23 homestand, he was hitting close to 260. He's got 50. He's on pace for 25, 30 home runs. He's mm-hmm. on pace for 80, 90 RBIs. I think he's doing his job. I think he's he fits into that that the Mariner lineup well. It's the other guys that really Suarez has got a little got on a little bit of a run lately, but we need him to do more. You know, Julio signing that huge contract, and everybody forgets Julio's going to be a star for a lot of years. This guy's the real deal. I'm sold on him, but once in a while I have to take a step back and say he's only 22 years old. Yeah. That's a lot to put on your shoulders when you're 22. And, and believe me, there's people not out there feeling sorry. For a 21-year-old that signed a 200-plus million-dollar deal, there, there's no sympathy out there. But at the same time, I know when I was 22 how hard this game was playing it at the big league level, and the fact to have that and the kind of that franchise label around your neck at a young age—that's a lot to live up to. And I'm sure this young man's got to put a lot on his mind. He's having a little down year. He's still gonna—he's still gonna be a—he's got a chance to be a 30-30 guy, even on a down year. But. He's got to pick it up if they if they want to be better. Uh, I think the strength of the Mariners lies in that in that starting rotation. They've stepped it up recently. They're up to fourth in the league in pitching, so it's still a very formidable pitching staff. That bullpen is solid, um, but whatever for whatever reasons, it's not mixing and matching. Usually, when you when you pitch fourth best in the league, your record is better than five hundred. In the Mariners' case, it's not. Very quickly, uh, before you let you run, did want to ask you about another one of your teams, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, who, boy, have turned into one of the best stories, uh, one of the best stories in baseball. You know, I'm sitting Kevin Barker here. He played for the Reds for a while. Yeah. Uh, you you got to feel good for what's going on in that city, don't you, right now? Because I've told people, like, I covered in the National League. I traveled to Cincinnati a lot. Cincinnati, when the Reds are playing well, it's a baseball city. No question. It really is. It kind of see. It just feels right to see that franchise pointed in that direction, doesn't it? Yeah, I spent five years there, and in '94, '95, we were really good. And and that city does turn out when you play well. Uh, They've been off the radar for a while now, and, and it's really a great story. Uh, with the young kid coming up, L.A. De La Cruz, and, and adding some excitement into that into that clubhouse uh, to see them make that run. They're two and a half games out. They're two out in the wild card. Uh, I, I see a lot of feel-good stories this year. How about the Baltimore Orioles being the top yeah. of the division? Out of nowhere, we haven't heard from them. The Texas Rangers kind of being the, a doormat in that division for years. All of a sudden, they're one of the best teams in baseball in my mind. So I think there's a lot of real feel-good stories this year. Um, and look at that Cincinnati Red team up and down that roster spot. It's a feel-good story. I'm glad to see the Reds back in the news and playing well. 
I don't think it holds up over 162. I don't think they pitch enough. Yeah. Right. Brett, we're going to let you scoot. Thanks for this, man. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Brett Boone. Uh, all right, and, and that 94-95 Reds team, I covered them, but they were, uh, they were terrific. And uh, it's interesting hearing him talk about Teoscar. I was, I was thinking of you. As you said, the time the deal was made, 25 and 80 doesn't grow in trees. Absolutely not. Clearly, it... it uh, Seattle, 23rd in LPS, 27th in average, 15th in homers. Yeah. I mean... It, it, it's sort of when you're facing them because of the way they pitch, it's who screws up, who doesn't throw the ball where they're supposed well, to throw if, it, yeah, and who fairness, runs the bases the wrong way. It's sort of that one little play that can beat you. Because both teams, uh, the Blue Jays or Seattle, not going to come in there and score 15 runs. It's not yeah. going to happen. No, you you know you also should remember, by the way, that Robbie Ray is, is yeah. done for the year yeah. as well. Um it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen, a chance to make money with the money man himself, mm-hmm. Mark Boffo. I was, I was trying to come up with a, but I would just, Mark Boffo. Yeah, don't want to beat you. All right, so. <laughs> just, don't be smartass. I got to deal with one, I got to deal with one smartass. I don't need to. I taught him well, didn't I? Jesus, he's like your son. God. <laughs> Mini me. Uh, I'll take it. All right, so guys, so much for this uh, Tampa Bay Rays lead atop the uh, AL East. They are going to host the Baltimore Orioles tonight. My Orioles at the Trop. Hey, this one's this one's for the division lead, guys. We're just looking for who will win tonight. Game is on Sportsnet. O's at Rays. Kyle Gibson versus Tyler Glasnow. Who's taking it tonight? I'm going to go with the Orioles. Mm. Of course you are. Uh, because of the way they're playing. I also like the fact the Orioles are going into this game after having added Shintero Fujinami, mm-hmm. a relief pitcher, made the deal for him last night. The dude has thrown 100. 98 comes easy for him. Got off to a rough start. He's been really good on a not good team out of the bullpen for Oakland. If you're in that Orioles clubhouse... I understand it's it's just one ad, but Kevin, if you're in that Orioles clubhouse, the day you go into first place, which was yesterday, your general manager gives you a reliever who can hit a hundred going into your biggest series of the year. I think the Orioles feed off that. I, I have a lot of respect for Tyler Glass. Now I think they feed off that. I think they win tonight. I think it's going to be a hell of a series. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really, really, really good and fun series. Yeah, that's fair. The Rays are hitting 210 in July. They're 3-11 and 11 in July. They face Seattle, the Phillies, Atlanta, and Texas. All have really, really good pitching. That's probably why they've hit, they're hitting 210 in July. They're 35-15 and 15 at home. Tyler Glass now yes, is, is throwing at the Trump. Yeah. Kyle Gibson is throwing for the Orioles. Just by saying out the record at home, what their record is in July, and they're really tough to be- like. Every once in a while, something's got to turn because of who the Rays have on the mound and because of who the Orioles have on the mound. I'm taking the Rays. Yeah, uh, I, as I said, it's it's going to be a great series. Uh, I just, you know, the, I like the fact. I just like the fact that the that the Orioles beat the Dodgers. They avoided the sweep. As I said, they 
They got a little bit of vote of confidence. We've talked to guys about this. You talked to Brett Boone about that. You don't think that clubhouse guys show up today and you know, GM, yeah, pretty young. GM's they're, made in They're her- pretty young. I don't think they I, – I remember when I was a young player, I, I couldn't care less what the yeah, GM but- did. Maybe that team's different. Maybe it's different now. Maybe the culture in that room's different because most of those young kids are really good. They're going to make tons of money. It's a little different, right, when you know you're going to be there for the long haul. It's kind of nice to start winning from the time you get called up. But it's, I, the, it's the Rays and the Trump. Yeah. I, I know the Orioles are three and two against the Rays this year, but it's the Trump. And at the Trump, the 35 and 15, just tonight because of who the Rays are throwing. I'll take the Rays. Is there any? Is this a bigger series for one or the other? I think the Rays, just because they're three and eleven, because they have had some trouble against some good pitching. Yes, you know, you're 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 hearing their organization say their lineup needs to create more opportunities. We've just seen good pitching, good starting pitching come in and be really tough on the Jays. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what's happened to the Rays, right? That's what good pitching does. It beats good hitting. It keeps it in the yard. I just think this is sort of what's going to happen tonight against the Orioles. Tyler Glass now, this might be the biggest start of his season up until this point. I, I, oh, I cannot, dis- I cannot disagree our, at our all. Our team's scuffling. That's other what I'm maybe, here for. Other than maybe his first start back from injury just because you don't know. But, yeah, now that he's free and clear of that, absolutely. It me is the against you, start you're, the, you're in first place. We're not. Who, who would have thought? Just shaking my head. July 20th, who the hell would have thought that the focus would be on an Orioles-Rays game? How about that? Is that must-watch? I'm watching it. Damn right it is. Uh, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Caleb Joseph is our Blue Jay Central Analyst on Sportsnet. He uh, worked the game this afternoon along with Jamie Campbell, former Jays catcher, former Orioles catcher. We've got a lot to talk about with Caleb Joseph, a lot to get caught up on as well. Always good to talk to him. He joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan 360 and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, oh man, I'll tell you what. 10-10 10-10 will be the first pitch tomorrow night. Wow. Kikuchi against Bryce Miller. Saturday and Sunday are 4-10. Then it's off to Dodger Stadium. See, those are games I miss traveling. The mm. Trips to places like Dodger Stadium. Mm. Yeah, Seattle is. Mm-hmm. Seattle's okay. But to me, Seattle's a bit like Chicago. It's overrated. Wow. Um, but uh, Right to it, you went. Yeah, L.A. Oh, Dodger Stadium. <laughs> the best. I like Seattle. I like me. I like me the big glamorous I like cities. The big, I, I like, like the, the big, big glamorous cities. I you know, really, I like. Yeah, yeah. You know me. My I'm an presence. LA guy. Yeah. I'm an LA guy. Bob's clown are. room. Sure, know. absolutely. Yeah, I'm a. I'm Who doesn't a, want them some of that? <laughs> Your thing. Big <laughs> LA guy. I'm a New York guy too. <laughs> Miami. Who's not? I, you know, I like. Yeah. You know, those are my places. Absolutely. 
Those are my places. Yeah. Other people can worry about sure. places like Seattle and all that. Yeah. Miami, New York, L.A. You'll be sound asleep by 1030. <laughs> let's not lie about There's it. There's a chance. Hey, let's not lie. A little chocolate milk and a... And a no, Oreo I don't do cookie. chocolate. You no, are, you no, no, are, no, 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 no. You are. No, no, oh, there's no question. No, I do not drink chocolate milk. Cho- <laughs> no, chocolate milk is good for the bones. No, it isn't. Chocolate milk is the spoiled milk. I love it. It's it's the milk that you're that, not going to ruin it for me. I'm just telling you. You're trying. That you're not used gonna. to be the story. I don't know if it is now. I'm sure the dairy producing board would be upset. But it used to be the story that that was kind of the milk that wasn't, you know, good enough to be Canada grade A white milk. They made they made brown milk out out of it. They made chocolate milk. What's the matter with you? I'm just saying, man. Leave it to you. Someday I'll tell you about my summer job working at Canada Packers. I don't want to hear that. No, you probably don't. You've already heard, you've heard, you told me that. Yeah. I was talking about food once. You tried to ruin it by telling me that story. It doesn't work, though. Uh, the Blue Jays beat the San Diego Padres 4 nothing today to avert the sweep uh, at the hands of the Padres. It was a 4-2 homestand coming out of the all-star break for the yeah. blue jays lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of offense against the arizona diamondbacks none for the most part against the san diego good padres good pitching from the padres today uh blake snell tying a career high with seven walks the jays go on to win for nothing what let's bring in caleb joseph Blue Jays Central, because I'm tired of talking to you, to you, and, and, and looking at Boffle laughing. And and Andrew Holland to his right is just he's he's just fueling the fire. Anyhow, how you doing, uh, Caleb? Great. I'm still in Canada, but I think I'm officially in the United States. So I don't know where I am exactly. Uh, what? What? I'm, I'm on a flight headed back home, but I think since I've crossed into customs, I'm technically in the United States, oh, I but see. I'm technically in Canada. There you okay. go. Yeah. There okay. you go. Okay. Well, that's fine. Sure. That's fine. I think I would. I guess I'm trying to figure that. Well, I see. Oh, yeah, because you're through customs. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can. It's, it's, you know, it's been a long, it's been a long day. Um, yeah, you've had it tough. I have, had, I have had a tough. Uh, hey, do we make a big enough deal about how good Chris Bassett's been this year for this team? A great question, especially in this season where Manoa has, has really struggled. And you look at kind of where the team was going into this season with question marks with Brios and Kikuchi. You felt really good about Gosman and Manoa. Obviously, Manoa goes down. And then the importance put on Bassett has been just incredible and he's answered the bell and this guy does it with the 93 mile hour sinker a little cutter uh you name the seven other pitches he's just uh he's a jack of all trades he's got them all he can pitch the weaknesses uh he can pitch the low damage spots and that is just so clutch that's so key i think one of the biggest things that people uh, kind of miss out on is a lot of times when you're going for whiff and you're going for chase, a lot of times those whiff and chase zones are in high damage spots because a guy's not going to swing at a ball up and away if he can't power it up and away. He's looking and hunting where he can do damage. So what Chris Bassett's able to do in terms of pitching to low damage spots, having the ability in the arsenal to do it, it's uh, it's great. He's got location. He's just been phenomenal. I mean, there you talk about Bassett. You talk about Trevor Richards. These guys have like, in my opinion, they might be the MVPs. Even though Gosman's had mm-hmm. a phenomenal year and Jose Brios again, like they're just real silent MVPs for me. That 
day in, day out. They show up and give their team a chance to win. And, boy, coming out of that, um, the two innings today that he kind of wiggled out of jams, jams that he didn't create, it was massive. That game could have flipped in a heartbeat. It had uh, uh, just a turnaround written all over it. The, the Padres were really pressing. And he just shut it down. He single-handedly said, nope, I'm, I'm getting this myself. And he was able to do it. He, uh, he was great today. Caleb, you know, it's funny watching a veteran guy this time of the year other than early in the year. I saw him a couple of times point to his head to Kirky, basically saying, you're smarter than that. We went over this. Don't do that. Don't call that. Don't sit up there. It's funny. I was trying to remember whenever I saw him do that a couple of times, if I'd ever seen that before. Like, it's rare that you see a pitcher on the mound in a big spot Sort of when he's going through it, trying to figure it out, you got a certain time to figure it out, pointing to his head to a catcher to say, come on now, like we should know better than this. Get it, get this back on the tracks. It's funny to see that. Yep. We went over it on um, Blue Jay Central on the follow, uh, post game. And I'll tell you, it is, it's something that I really think is starting to kind of aggravate him and frustrate him. He, to me, looked visually pissed off for lack yeah. of a better word Absolutely. for most of that game. And I think it's just to the point where he wants to be able to just focus on hitting his location. When you have a pitcher like Chris Bassett, who has a multitude of different pitches is using location is losing, is using uh, his changing of speeds for him to be able to see the shape of the pitch, have enough time to, to focus in on that and execute that location is number one when he's got to sit there and make sure that the catcher constantly has the right pitch in the right location and the game clock is ticking lower and lower and lower, it doesn't allow him to really have that four or five second pre-pitch visualization to be able to hit his spot. And I think he's just, I think he's frustrated that at this point, they still, he still has to call quite a few of his pitches and it gets down to zero and it's stressful. I mean, the game is stressful enough when you're trying to fight the other opposition, but when you, from time to time have to fight the, the pitch calling and the sequencing and the signs, it adds another layer of frustration, but he battled through it and he's done it year this entire year. He just keeps battling through this kind of pitch calling conundrum that we seem to, to, to go back and forth on over the last five or six starts. Whenever I knew you was coming on, I was thinking about how I was going to ask the bloody question. Cause every time you come on, I have to ask you one. And I don't think I've ever asked you, this kind of question about Vladdy and I'm trying, I want to be as nice about this as I possibly can. Cause he's having a good year. He's not having the year that me and you thought he was going to have. And everybody else thought he had to have for them to win the American league East and, you know, go as far as they want to go. I've watched Vladdy a lot. I've watched Vladdy a lot with a really good guy around him. Victor Martinez comes in. The approach is different. Uh, Bo Bichette's dad was here. The approach was different. My question to you is, do you think Vladdy by himself, without having a veteran experienced whatever around him, whether that's a coach, whether that's a player who's been there and done it before, who goes through sort of the same thing that he's been through when it comes to game planning, do you think he can overcome it himself and start having that better approach? Caleb, we... Today should tell you all you need to know. 99 right down the middle. He hits a linea Mm -hmm. for a homer to right field. Can we, do you think he's capable by himself to have those kind of at-bats? At this exact moment, I I really don't think so. And you just look at what's gone on this entire year. You look at 
for me, the Florida series a couple of weeks ago when he really started directionally to figure it out. It looked like the approach was starting to really round out. Victor Martinez was down there, and Victor Martinez followed the team back up north. That really extended what I thought was a really solid two weeks of Guerrero. I think he hit like four or five homers in those two weeks. He looked like he was about to go off, and I haven't seen Victor Martinez around lately, and it just seems like, for me, there's a little bit of a lack of like intent focus consistently of what exactly he's going to go up there and look for and go up there and do. I don't have the talent and never had and never will me either. that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has. Nope. Nope. But I figure that at some point, he's going to have to really solidify that approach. You, you just get to a point in your career where you can't just go up there and out-talent everybody. Mm. I think it's worked for a number of years for him but remember some of those big years there were some really trusted voices that i think were really helping solidify and establish that approach like hey here's what you're going to do today the guy's still what 24 25 years old sometimes we forget that i mean 24 i was in a ball trying to figure out just how to even hit a slider much less uh get to to mvp type caliber seasons again and I really feel like it's in there because you see glimpses of today and you're going, what is going on? Like that, that's the Vladdy. That was absolutely beautiful. And you look back six or seven ABs previously, and it just looked like he had absolutely no approach. So I feel like that, that, that that's why I want Nelson Cruz on this team. That right there is why I want Nelson Cruz. You talk about a right-handed bat that can come in with some authority. I don't care how old he is. I think he can play. I know he's going to be amazing in that clubhouse. And don't forget the, the, the biggest thing for me with Nelson is just that trusted veteran Latin presence. I think that's massive for Vladdy that Nelson walks in there. Nelson played with Vladdy's daddy. Nelson played with Vladdy's yeah. daddy. He has immediate credibility. That guy's got what, 18, 15, 16 years in the big leagues. A lot. He's accomplished it all. Nelson Cruz can come in there and say, hit with your back foot and Vladdy's going to do it. And Nelson knows how to get it done. So that for me is why I would target Nelson Cruz. Because I think if Vladdy has that voice in his head consistently about what he needs to go up there and do and having day-to-day A-B to A-B goals, he could very easily get to the player he wants to be. No question. In a snap of a finger for me. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that because we had Bob Scanlon on yesterday, the Padres uh, uh, analyst, and I just asked him, do you think Nelson Cruz has anything left in the tank? He said, absolutely. You know, there was a product, there was a lot of stuff going on with the Padres. And he said absolutely he could still he could still help a team. And you know, my only look, I, I think these guys are going to do. I think they're going to make a couple of moves leading up the trade deadline. Um, my only mm-hmm. my only question about this, Caleb, is can you have Nelson Cruz, Brandon Belt, and I, and, and Alejandro Kirk in the team? Of this? Yeah. Like that's just that's a I, lot of old dudes. I off think what the bench. Caleb's saying it's more important to get Vladdy right. And that dude, because he's been there and done it before, okay. could help him do that. Caleb, I don't want to throw the, the the hitting coaches under the bus, but why do you think the conversation – just seems like the conversation's never had on when he swings at a sinker OO in off the plate well, last first night, or second. Last night. Why did yeah. you swing at that? Why are you doing that? Well, I don't again. I don't want to throw the coaches <laughs> under the bus, but it is an obvious conversation, right? On on if you want to take it to the next level. Because we see the talent. And you hear John Snyder every day in his press conference after the game say the same thing you say, I say, Jeff says. Everybody that talks about Vladdy, if he lays off of that and gets the one down the middle, he hits the ball further and harder than anybody on planet Earth. 
I just wonder why the conversation, because it's obviously not had enough. Yeah, I, I, it, I, I agree with you in terms of it's obvious when he does have the plan and when he's intently focusing on that plan. It's one thing to be on the on-deck circle and just kind of taking your swings and looking around and then feel like you've got it figured out. And I feel like there's times when he steps up to the plate and he feels good enough to just kind of see it and hit it. And that I'm telling you, it's a dangerous proposition, especially with a guy like you Darvish. I think in yesterday's case, I, I honestly believe he might've actually had a plan and been sitting soft, but you got to get really specific early in the count in a game time position where you can really swing the game. It's not just sit a certain pitch. I mean, you're in a very specific spot, whether it's up and away, whether it's middle across, you get crazy specific because at that point in time, that pitcher who Darvish in this example is paid a lot of money Mm -hmm. to get out of those type of jams. That's where pitchers make their money. It's not getting you out when there's nobody on in a four Oh game. It's when the game is on the line, it's mano a mano. They're giving you their absolutely best pitches and sequences. And I really feel like the eight before he tattooed a ball to right center field. And it was funny to me that when he got into trouble, you Darvish, that is, he kind of leaned on that fastball. Mm -hmm. And so if, for Vladdy's sake, if he goes up there looking for a slider, I'm great with it. I don't like you go look whatever you want, but if you're looking soft, you absolutely cannot swing at a fastball in. You have no shot. That result yesterday for me was a guy that either A, didn't have a plan, or B, it was a soft focus in that I'm going to kind of sit slider, but if something looks good, I'm going to swing. That's not a plan. That's a soft plan, and it won't work. It will not work. So get super hyper-focused on something very specific in those big-time ABs. And I think that's what a Victor Martinez, that's what a Nelson Cruz, when you've been in the box, they can stress that type of conversation, how super intense it is. If you hadn't played at this level, it's really tough. It's really tough to actually get it and understand that it is that specific for those big-time RBI producers. Caleb, I'm wondering as the Jays get ready to go into Seattle to take on the Mariners in that three-game series, Alejandro Kirk gets his home run today, uh, draws a walk, gets on base two other times, infield hit, typical Alejandro Kirk infield hit, I guess. Do you see anything anything today different from what you've been seeing from Alejandro Kirk before? Anything that suggests to you that, okay, this may be that that little spark that that he needs to get going? Because... I mean, let's face it, we're getting up to the trade deadline and, sure. I, you know, the Jays, my friend Mr. Barker says, it's going to be about winning at some point and if you're not going to be able to shoulder the load, you're going to find yourself on the bench more often than not. Do you see anything today with Alejandro that gives you thought that maybe that something's changing? Uh, to use a very famous Kevin Barker word, eh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, I, I want to believe that this might be something, but I, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure. What what I noticed in his last AB that hanging breaking ball from the lefty, I noticed a very aggressive move with his lower half. And this is a guy that I believe has really kind of dipped down in terms of bat speed. I know there might be yeah. some folks that are saying, "No, it, it looks good, it's fine," but when you're constantly not catching up to velocity, that to me means there's not a lot of whip in that bat and there's just not a, a good release going on. So where do you start? You start at the ground. You, got, you start from the ground up, and you've got to have a good, strong core, and you've got to be able to engage the ground to create some ground force to then whip that bat through. If you've got no legs, Lieutenant Dan, no legs, you don't, won't have no bat speed. So what I saw was a huge move forward, and I saw that back heel 
fully rotate come off the ground. I know he in the past has had that thing stuck on the backside. When he swings that back heel, that right heel for him, because he's a right-handed hitter, stays into that ground as he rotates. But I feel like at times he's been stuck on the backside. Well, what does that mean? That means as he loads, as he strides, the weight is on the backside. It's really dug into that heel. And as he swings, he's just kind of stuck, all of his weight leaning on the backside. You have no bat speed. It's going to be hard to get that ball out in front. And a lot of the angles start to change. When I saw him take the swing versus the lefty, the one he hit the homer on today, I saw a really big aggressive move. He planted and posted on that front left leg. He started to rotate. He rotated so hard on that front leg that the back foot totally came off the ground. It was elevated. And the bat speed on that pitch right there really showed up for me. He kept it very good plane. He smoked it. It was a line drive homer. It wasn't some pop-up off the end. It was a really nice swing. Hopefully that's some, there's something there. But for me, it's going to be at least uh, 10 or 15 more ABs of good, solid, hard contact with that move to make me a believer. Okay, because you've been on some good teams, you've been this time of the year on a big league team. Some teams are trying to make a run at it, and it matters what GMs do this time of the year, what they bring to the clubhouse. That clubhouse thing seems to matter. I'm not buying into that as much as everybody else is, but this is my question to you. What do you think would make the bigger splash in the Blue Jays clubhouse? Would it be an eighth inning guy in the pen or somebody maybe that could play a little bit more left field that could hit in the meat of the order and maybe take a little playing time away from Varsho? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Bellinger. I'm going out and doing whatever it takes to go get Cody Bellinger, and I'm playing him wherever he wants to play, whether it's left or DH or whatever, and figuring it out. Uh, I think the bullpen is is in good shape. I, I, I think that Chad Green is kind of the big uh, dark horse. If Chad Green shows up and can be, you've said this, player multiple times, if Chad Green can show up and be 80% of the guy he is, then I really really feel confident where this bullpen is. If it was pick either or, I'm going with a bat. No question about it. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's amazing, right? A year ago, we were talking about like two or three pieces in that bullpen. Ross Atkins and company goes out, they get one piece, and everybody kind of seems to slot where they need to go. It's pretty unbelievable. But for me, it's a bat. And I've talked to a couple players in the clubhouse this past series, and they were mentioning bats. I asked them, what do you think? And they said, would be nice to have another middle-of-the-order bat. And uh, I really feel like that would kind of start to move everybody in the lineup in their proper spots, just like Swanson. The addition of Swanson moved everybody pitching-wise kind of in the appropriate slots. Yeah, and I, uh, before we let you run, I want to ask you about one of your, uh, one of your other your former teams. The Baltimore Orioles are playing the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. Goodness. They're in first place. What is going on? They go out and they get a reliever who can throw 100 last night after moving into the division lead. You know, and Kevin just asked about an impact, of, an impact that a move will make in a clubhouse. Caleb, if I'm the Orioles players and I see my GM bringing in before the big, our biggest series of the year a reliever who throws hard, you know, knowing that my bullpen has been taxed a lot because uh, because I've had some issues with my rotation. Like, if I'm a dude like Cedric Mullins or Anthony Santander or, you know, obviously guys like Adley Rushman, I, I'm pulling into the clubhouse today thinking this is awesome. Like, you know, our GM is, he's given us, he's given us something here. And boy, I think that hints that the Orioles may do something big at the deadline. 
Yeah, that's a great question. This is one of the biggest stories I'm following is how is Mike Elias going to approach the deadline? Is he going to give up some pieces to kind of go for it? I mean, the team is forcing the GM to go for it. And I think that as a player is what you try and do. We've talked about that over the years is let's force the GM to go for it. And they're absolutely putting themselves in that position. I remember 2014 when we traded Eduardo Rodriguez to um, – to Boston for Andrew Miller. We knew Ed Potter Rodriguez was going to be a very, very good left-handed pitcher for a long time. But when we got Andrew Miller, the moxie in that clubhouse, the feel in that clubhouse was like, here we go. It was, mm-hmm. you could feel it. I mean, you just knew like, yep, like this is it. That is exactly what we need. Now let's strap it on and go get it. And I think like a lot of times when it goes the reverse, it can deflate a clubhouse. I remember 20, 21 I was in Seattle and that team hadn't made the playoffs in 20 something years or whatever and at the deadline Jerry DePoto traded Kendall Graveman right. to the Houston Astros a division rival there was people in the clubhouse throwing stuff in their lockers they had to have a team meeting people were absolutely irate and I think there is you know at some point you've got you guys a GM you've got to decide like I've got to give them this kind of vote of confidence it can't be some C-level guy just a body you know you, you you try your best to go out and make an impact statement but it all comes down to what do they have to give up and that to me is the biggest hurdle for the Blue Jays is mm-hmm. the few guys that they really have as pieces I just I don't know if they're willing to part with them and that's a problem so I think Ross has got you know I, I think he's got his work cut out for him to kind of send that message to the clubhouse yet he doesn't have many uh, uh, pieces in the cupboard to really work with yeah Caleb, really good of you to do this, man. Have a safe flight, and uh, thank you for your time as always. Thanks, Look forward buddy. to chatting again. Yep. Be Way well. Go. See you soon. See you Take care. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay Central Analyst uh, on Sportsnet. And, uh, again, we will have 640. Uh, uh, we'll have the Rays and Orioles game uh, from Tampa. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Derek Gould. Covers the St. Louis Cardinals for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He is in Cooperstown where, of course, Scott Rowland will go in as a member of the Cardinals. Fred McGriff going into the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, we'll talk to Derek about Scott Rowland, where he fits in the Cardinals pecking order of Hall of Famers because goodness knows they've had a ton of them. But we'll also talk to Derek about what the Cardinals may do at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, the to me... I don't. I wouldn't call them the most intriguing team at the deadline because they've made it pretty clear that they're they're sellers. But you want to talk about position players, versatile position players, left hand hitting outfielders, switch hitters, right hand hitting outfielders. I mean, you could do a lot of shopping in the St. Louis Cardinals store if you're a contending team. We'll talk to Derek about that. What are the Cardinals looking for? What? trades does he think because there have been a ton of cardinals rumors out there what trades does he think have some actual there's some actual fire behind the smoke of those trades Derek gould joins us next it's blair and barker on sportsnet 590 the fan sportsnet 360 sportsnet and wherever you get your favorite podcast Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
रहे हैं I like when you Caleb, when we have Caleb Joseph on, because I know that you guys have like texted throughout the whole game and you've set each other up. I'm gonna ask you about this. I'm gonna no. say this. No, yeah, you do. No, it's not true. It, it, I'm not it's saying it's con- a bad. I'm not con- saying it's, it's a bad con- thing. It's conversations that I'm not saying it's sometimes have to be had about can superstars actually do it. Both sides of the ball. Uh-huh. And both sides of the ball for Vladdy doesn't mean defense and offense. It means before I walk to the plate, can I have an approach that I'm going to stick with? And track record this year will tell you he has issues doing that. And does he need a Nelson Cruz or a veteran hitting coach who can tell him, this guy did this to you last time. He will do it to you this way this time. Look for that. Just remember, I know, he, I know he had a bazillion homers in Buffalo, but there was a dude there. Do you think dad who plays shortstop that basically told him he did this? Go look for that. Do you think? Mm. Do you think he's missing, Lourdes, Teoscar? I mean the the buddy. Th- <laughs> well, no, no but uh, let me finish because I... no, because you talked, you know, and Caleb's right about having that. Very strong Latino voice, and I understand you're talking about a you know a, a, a veteran player like like Nelson Cruz, a guy who's been there and done it. But you know, Teoscar is a bit of a track record as well. I'm yeah, just I can't, I can't, I, I'm just I can't asking. Answer, I can't answer that. I'm just asking. I have, you'd have to ask Vladdy that. I have no idea. I just know from why you so great at hitting, and you swing at oo sinkers in off the plate. Why you consistently do it? Yeah, I, is somebody uh, telling you that? Why you, that? That is the thing, right? Is and you can listen to John after the game. That's yeah. he says that all the time. I I said yesterday, and uh, I, I truly mean this. I'm at the point now where I used to expect something to happen when Vladdy comes up to the plate. Now I don't. Now I take what I can get. I and I, that's just the way it is. I. Jeff. I have an expectation when Bo comes up to the plate yeah, that something's going to happen. Jeff, he got 99 from a right-handed pitcher <clears throat> today and hit a line drive home run to right field. That's elite stuff. Humans don't do that. That's the point. They're trying to get him consistently to that. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. It is Hall of Fame weekend in Cooperstown. Uh, Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff going into the Hall of Fame. Derek Gould covers the Cardinals, covers baseball for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he joins us on Blair and Barker from Cooperstown. Derek, thanks so much for joining uh, joining Kevin and myself today. I want to talk to you, obviously, about the Cardinals. I find them an intriguing team at the deadline. But I also, mm-hmm. obviously, want to talk about Scott Rowland. I mean, mm-hmm. The Cardinals have had a ton of Hall of Famers in their career. Uh, where does Scott Rowland fit in in sort of the, if you want to call it the arc, I guess, of St. Louis Cardinals history? That's an interesting question, and also great to hear from you guys. Nice to join you. I am here right off Main Street in Cooperstown, so it's nice. Uh, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times says hello because he's he's uh, he's allowed me to pack into his car while I do the show. There you so. go. Say hi to Tyler. Oh, that's awesome. I, I will. I will. Um, gosh, his art, where he fits in Cardinals history. Well, he was a significant part of their warps of kind of the final acceleration of their turnaround. Like you think about new ownership comes in late nineties, hires Walt Jockety, 
um, hires Tony La Russa. Um, they get the team back into the postseason, back toward the you know the pennants and the uh, and the uh, championships that they're expected for, and then um, fall short a few times, um, but then enact um, you know and along the way there they trade for Mark McGuire, and maybe mm-hmm. Mark McGuire is the first hint of the deal that became Scott Rowland, right? Okay, so they trade for McGuire, take on that salary. They trade for Jim Edmonds um, when the Angels are going to move on. And then the, like, exclamation point on those kind of moves was trading for Scott Rowland. This notion that the Cardinals could take a player who was disenchanted elsewhere, not eager to sign an extension, bring him in, woo him, um, and then sign him to that extension that the other team would not or he didn't want. And to me, that's where he is on the arc of the Cardinals. Is He was the exclamation point on that gradual strategy that then, you know, climaxed with him and then Matt Holiday, and then you see all that take mm-hmm. place. So that's probably not the answer that you expected, but he in that way was kind of that final big push that then brought a championship to town in 2006. It gave them a hitter to pair with Albert Pujols. It gave them a sublime defensive player to put on the left side of the infield, all of that. But he also kind of crystallized that their approach um, right down to even early on in his time there, him referring to St. Louis as baseball heaven, Right, that's his place in Cardinal history. When, when do you think people started looking at Scott as a Hall of Famer? Like, what is there a turning point? Is there, you know, he started hitting Great more point. homers. He started pulling the baseball. Is there a time that they went, man, because you play such great defense? Now we're starting to look at you at a whole different light. Yeah, I think I think they saw him as a future Hall of Famer when he was with the Phillies. You know, wins Rookie of the Year. Um, draws comparisons to Mike Schmidt, who is a Hall of Famer. So I think actually it's interesting because he started his career and quickly affirmed this notion that he had Hall of Fame talent. And if anything, then it was towards the end as injuries caught hold, as some of the production shifted, as you know, some of the seasons were lost to those injuries, as maybe some of the power didn't manifest um, into the big round numbers, um, that you started seeing people erode the notion that they'd long predicted that he would be a Hall of Famer. So I, I think it's interesting because his career, like it's almost like a, like a reverse bell curve, his career. You know, he arrives as a future Hall of Famer, affirms that notion early on, gets the championship with the Cardinals, all those things. Um, but then comes the sag, right? And yeah. the sag in injury and the sag in performance and the sag in support and notion of him as a Hall of Famer, only to then build as he starts receiving votes as – my, and this is my opinion, but I think you can back it up, that third base starts to become more appreciative, yeah. uh, appreciated by voters, appreciated by fans, appreciated in the game, um, appreciated in the modern era. I think you can't really ignore the fact that we're probably in one of the best eras of third baseman right now. Yeah. And it's through that lens that voters then look back and go, Man, that guy was ahead of his time. He only played third base. There aren't many third basemen in Cooperstown. No one did it quite like him at that time. And now we like see a bunch of folks influenced by that. Adrian Beltre will be here next year. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of lens that then completes the cycle for a role and it makes it clear that he's a Hall of Famer and gets the vote support. 
Derek, shifting focus a little bit to this year's Cardinals, uh, obviously a disappointing year for the Cardinals. I think a a lot of people expect to see them uh, dispatching a lot of players at the deadline. And and certainly uh, John Mazeliak's kind of, he really hasn't, I don't think he's done anything to dampen dampen that situation. Realistically, I I can't imagine they're going to trade Goldschmidt, Arenado, or or Garmin. Right. Who do you think they're most likely to move? Well, I mean, they, they're they not going to move their big guys. You know, they want their fixtures. They want their legacy players. You know, they want their modern-day rolling and their, you know, their, their pillars, as they call them. And ownership calls them legacy players, guys that they want to stick around until the end of their careers and then, you know, move across the street to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Um, those two guys are, are the current um era you know now that Pujols and Molina have retired so you have Arnado and Goldschmidt as those two pillars um Gorman is an interesting one because no they don't want to move him but they do want young pitching and they want high-end strikeout missing bats pitching controllable pitching and it might take talent it's going to take talent to get that and where they have depth is right there um at second base or DH and so you can kind of see them being wooed into a, a deal where it might take Gorman. Now, whether or not they agree to that, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to entertain offers for starters, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery. They're definitely going to entertain offers and, and have already received interest in guys like uh, Ryan Helsley, who is on the injured list, but making his way back. Jordan Hicks, who's their current closer and a free agent to be uh, Giovanni Gallegos, who's their setup guy. Helsley and Gallegos come with another year of control and the Cardinals want to see what kind of deal they can get to maximize the value of relievers, especially this time of year. Um, you know, they're going to get, they have gotten interest and, you know, they have some depth in the outfield. Um, so they'll, uh, they'll talk to teams about Dylan Carlson and explore whether they can make him a part of a, a deal that gets pitching in return. You know, they, they're from every corner of the roster. They really want to pull from. Um, they're telling teams that Newt Barr, Edmund, and Walker are not going to get very far in conversation. They 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 want to they they don't think that they can get the return on those to make such deals, um, you know, worth their while. And they want Newt Barr and Edmund and Walker, of course, to be part of their future, just as Arnado and Goldschmidt. Uh, front offices only get so many mulligans. Is this the Cardinals yeah. mulligan? Huh. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> is trading uh, back-to-back Cy Young award winners in the same trade? Is that uh, yeah. is that Gallon wins Cy Young? Is, yeah. is uh is the Dexter Fowler deal that didn't work out? Is the Mike Leake deal that didn't work out? Is the you know two hundred million plus in free agents that result in less than ten WAR? I mean, I don't. We're, we're, how many Mulligans you got? Um, <laughs> I I think this is. This is a very – they're at a reckoning. There's no other way to put it. Um, they have – John Mozeliak is on his third homegrown manager. So, you don't – you know, in baseball, you don't really go, oh, for, you know, three strikes, you're out kind of stuff, right? So, he's got Ali Marmol, his third hire as manager, his third homegrown manager um, after Mike Matheny, who he fired, Mike Schilt, who he fired. Um, so, you got that in play. You got a pitching development and pitching depth situation – that has fallen behind the times after being the industry standard for many years and the engine behind their pennant in 2013 and a contributor to their 
World Series in 2011, and a huge part of why they went to consecutive NLCSs there um, during the Beltran holiday period. So I think that, you know, they, they just – fallen behind here in pitching and so I, I think it's a reckoning in a lot of ways as to all right well what you there was momentum from what you built that carried you this far that's gone how do you reignite it how do you jump start this team how do you show that you can do something really hasn't been done for the cardinals in more than a generation which is rebuild while not you know falling behind the brand and that's going to be a real challenge. Um, I talked with the chairman of the team, owner of the team, and he said he thinks this is the front office to do it. Um, they haven't had to do something like this before, but he thinks that this is the group that can do it. I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch. Um, so, no, I don't think it's a mulligan. I, I, I think it's I think it's the 18th hole, <laughs> and they got to sink it. Well, and this is – you know, and if they don't, then someone else is going to carry the clubs from there. Yeah. What What do you think the older guys think? The Wainwrights, the the third baseman, the first baseman think. You know, the clubhouse thing in 2023 is a huge deal. Expectations yeah. were off the charts for the Cardinals, and now they're not. What do the older guys think of this? I mean, they're frustrated. You know, Nolan Arenado's been well, and Goldschmidt too. Uh, you know, talked to him yesterday. He was like, "Look, we weren't playing good baseball. I mean, do you look around?" The, the 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 clubhouse and you're like well we're just not playing well so how do you go man we should contend when we're not playing well you know it's not that kind of thing nolan arnado has really um he's he's been hypercritical of himself you know he's talked about how his defense is poor and how the team's defense is poor and how that half that turnaround has to start with him and he knows the metrics and numbers and he can recite them and say that, you know, he's just got to get better. Um, you know, he and Goldschmidt just couldn't quite sync up their production. Um, but, I mean, there's a real the real crater for the team has been pitching, um, and there's a real question as to whether or not they should have seen it coming because, to be candid, you know, the media wrote a lot about it coming mm-hmm. um, going into the season. I know I did. I was told at one point in time by an executive I focused too much on pitching, um, to which I said, you don't focus enough. And... <laughs> You know, I think it's, I mean, he could have told, he could have turned to me and said, I told you so if it all worked out, but it hasn't. And so how are the older guys? I think it's very interesting that both Goldschmidt and Arenado come from outside the Cardinals. So they know what it's like to have a season like this. And they know what it's like to look to the horizon and only see seasons like this and how that can be difficult. I don't think they look to the horizon and see only seasons like this. I think they know that, that the Cardinals front office, Arnado was talking the other day about Mo and the conversations they've had, but also him just watching Mo walk through the clubhouse and how the front office sees with the same frustration that the players do. And he said, you know, they're, they, they're not like surrendering to this as well. All right, well, this is the way it goes. They're, they're like, how do you fix this? How do you get it right? And they're not going to sit around and let it happen again. And I think the older guys see that for Wainwright. It's a little different, right? He's retiring at the end of the season. Um, he knows that he, his pitching has contributed to the pitching problems and he wants to be part of the solution. Um, he's chasing 200 wins for himself. He's chasing health here. Big, big outing Monday for him against his teammates in a live BP session. Um, so I think he is more a champion of do something miraculous 
and you know pull a page from the 06 team pull a page from the 11 team they were you know they were one was an 83 one team that eked into the playoffs the other one was as far out of uh, playoff spot as the cardinals are now only that was in late august and so i think he's kind of taken on that role of wanting to be part of the surge no one expected um while recognizing that you know his own struggles contributed to their pitching issues Derek, really good of you to yeah. join us today, man. Thanks so much. Enjoy Cooperstown. Yeah, have fun. Uh, extend our congratulations to Mr. Roland and uh, say yeah, hi well. again. Say hi to Tyler for us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I will. I look forward to uh, Scott Roland's wry remark when I uh, tell him congratulations. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be a smart. <laughs> he will have a zinger. Oh, he will. I know awesome. he will. Take care, man. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in Cooperstown. I'm sure actually Scott Roland's reaction is going to be who? I didn't really spend a lot of time around the team when he was there, actually. But, um, yeah, it, it's... I played with him a year. I bet he wouldn't remember me either. I bet he does. He took, no, me, to dinner. I, he took me to dinner many times. I bet he wouldn't remember me. I, bet, I, think, I think a lot of those guys do. I think you you, you got to give some of those guys more credit. I think they do. Maybe. I think they do. Uh, I'm hard to forget. About them. <laughs> I was going to say... I was going to say his his reaction to Derek might be oh Barker uh, 416-413-3959 that is the number of the back leg line your chance to leave questions comments for Mr. Barker and myself mostly for Mr. Barker and uh, we actually use it to fill time when I've uh, also when I've pooched the clock which, yeah, yeah. Uh, often yeah was it Andy Reid that had difficulty clock management oh yeah, he's not I'm, good at it yeah. ask my wife I'm the Andy Reid of the Chiefs uh, fan ask her I was uh, nonetheless, though, Dave in Collingwood was so excited by the opportunity to talk to you that he left us a voicemail. Uh, good win. Win's a win. But I'm Don't be too getting excited. a little bit tired of these base running mistakes. All mm. spring training, we heard from the players and the management how it was attention to detail. They've never had a camp with this much attention to detail. Then April, May, and June, Schneider seemingly after every game was saying they need to tighten things up. Well, it's almost the end of July now. These things can't keep happening. If this team wants to win a World Series, they can't be handing teams outs like this. Thanks. I guess say a couple of things first of all before I hand it over to Kevin. We've ne- I've never been in a camp where there, there is this much attention to detail. That has become the 2023. I'm in the shape of my life. It, it players. Players just want to say something so the media will go away. I I cannot put it any, and I would do the same damn thing. So with all due respect, anytime I hear a player say, wow, I mean, I'm in the, I always tell the story. Vernon Wells told us he was in the best shape of his life. He blew his hammy out like 20 minutes later, and I'm not kidding. So one, I don't believe it when somebody says they're in the best shape of their life. And two, again, with all due respect, I've never been around a team that spent as much attention on detail. I ain't fine. Yeah, I was just me. I was there. I didn't see what John was talking about. I mean, I'm sure they talked about it a couple of times. I'm sure they tried. Coaches were saying that. Look, John's very good at not throwing his players under the bus. You got to read between the lines sometimes when he says that. You are right, though. We've seen and and you know this isn't old man yells at get off my my grass. The base running in baseball is not good. It's atrocious. And I and I you can say it. It is atrocious. And you know what I think we may and this is funny because. I had somebody earlier this year at the Rogers Center with this organization, and we were talking about, oh, the new rules and the bigger bases and how it's going to open the game. He said, I'm actually kind of scared because 
we're opening a part of the game nobody does anymore, right? You know what his point was? Oh, the bigger bases, you know, we haven't we we haven't raised for two, three generations. We've told players that stolen bases don't matter. You don't get paid for it. And and his point was, doesn't matter. You can make the bases bigger if guys aren't conditioned to base running. It's not going to make that much of a difference. It may make it worse. And I, I, th- I think maybe that's the case. We saw a dude get picked off first today, doubled off of first base on a pop-up uh, uh, three feet behind the grass at first base. Yeah. He was standing at first. And one close. It's like, yeah, yeah. look, look I, I will never blame a coach about base running. That is 1,000% on the player. I don't yeah. need no coach telling me to come to third. Only thing I need a coach to do that's standing at third is to tell me to stop. Yeah. The ball that's hit where I can't see it, you've which made is left that, center, or I'm the one base running. You've made the point. You want <laughs> an excuse force the third for base people coach. that don't know how to speak about baseball. That's force, what that is. Force the third base coach to tell you to stop. Absolutely. That's the only reason they're out yep. there. And tell me how many outs there is in case I forget because I'm running all over the place and I'm worn out. That's G- his job. Jared and Calgary. Or hold my so batting gloves. So there was a lot of scuttlebutt that the reason Alec Manoa was brought back so quickly was because that the rotation guys were, uh, you know, you know, pitchers are creatures of habit, right? Yeah. Their uh, their usual daily routine was thrown out of whack, and it was getting difficult for them. At what point does management go to these guys and say, "Hey, listen, you're making millions upon millions of dollars to pitch in the major leagues. You guys need to figure that out because Alec hasn't." It's clear that this that Alec was brought back far too soon, and it might be because management was pressured by the rotation. What are your thoughts on that? Have a good I, day. Yeah, I mean, my first thought is these starting pitchers are the reason I'm not in last place in this division. If they ask me to move them, if they ask me to move mountains, I'm going to say, "How many mountains do you want, and where do you want me to move them to?" Bassett's thrown a lot. Gosman's thrown a lot. Barrios has thrown a lot. Those are three dudes right there that mean a ton to your rotation. If their routine is jacked up because one dude can't figure it out, that's not those three dudes' problem. Yeah, that's that's where this organization's at. It, it's <laughs> because they don't have depth. In their rota- in their organization or in their rotation has nothing to do with the other four guys. No, that's what it is. And the other so, thing is, those routines are how those guys made all the money. Absolutely. And it's the way the way we develop pitchers now in the, in, in this industry, and the input that analytics departments have in the development of pitchers in this industry routine is very important. And and you know I, I get your point. Suck it up. I, I, I get that, but it, it doesn't work that way. And it certainly doesn't work that way in a team that can't get a hit with runners in scoring position. I, I keep getting back to this. Uh, this this rotation is the only reason this team's in the playoffs. Yep. I mean, let's and be clear. Pin, and Penn. And, and Penn. Yeah, I'll absolutely. go with you. Absolutely. They've been really good. No, the pitching's the reason this team well, is absolutely. in the playoffs right now. No question. And this is why I wrote – little or a couple of weeks ago I, I do believe there is a time when the general manager uh should do something for his team and i think frankly the pitchers in this team deserve to see this general manager do something that helps the offense and and i understand that saying do something is you know that's like do something that's a fan thing make a trade do something i, I just can't say enough about the work these dudes have done 
And, you know, think back to spring training and all the concern we had about the pitch clock and everything and all this. And I know, I think Barker's right. We may have overdone it a bit. But the fact of the matter is we had Chris Bassett and Kevin Gossman. We spent a lot of time wondering how are these guys going to handle the pitch clock? I mean, Kevin Gossman was the poster boy for, uh, you know, for the, 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 uh, the, the impact or, or for the implications of watching the pickoff move more. These guys have answered. These guys have done more than their share. Yeah, absolutely. So if if it's not the only reason, if Chris, Trevor, Trevor Richards not starting right. and being in the seventh inning and maybe could pitch the sixth and the seventh, that's better for your team to win baseball games. But it hey, makes total sense. If Jose Barrios or Chris Bassett or Kevin Gossman come to and come to me right now and ask me something, I'm going, boys, I'm going to try to do whatever I can. Thing, best thing about this is competition. Now, yep. If for you's good, absolutely. Yep. Uh, that's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow, 5 to 7. John Schneider, manager of the Blue Jays, joins us tomorrow. We've got Rays and Orioles on the network right now. Have yourself a great night.